1: Thinking about healthcare these days, well you're not alone and seems that getting real information about the state of our medical system is tough to come by. That's why you've come to the right place with Dr. Bill, your radio MD. He's got the answers because he's a doctor. I said, he's a doctor, and he wants to hear from you right now. 877-969-8600. This is AM860, The Answer. And now, it's time for Dr. Bill, your Radio
2: MD. Good morning, everybody. This is Dr. Bill, your Radio MD, coming at you on 860-WGULAM. You can reach me on the Internet anywhere in the world at 860-WGUL.com. Click Listen Live. I think it's the box in the upper right. We also are known as The Answer because, of course, we have all the answers. This is interactive talk radio, and I welcome people to join me in my discussions. I usually ask a question or two. And I do stick to one theme, one topic. So if you're not that kind of person, if you don't have the ability to concentrate for forty five minutes, then this may not be the show for you, or it may be because you might really get pulled in by the topic at any rate, we''re at eight seven seven nine six nine eight six zero zero that's eight seven seven nine six nine eight six zero zero, so join me if you must if you can or if you know the answer. well, you know the Supreme Court rulings of the past week have overshadowed all the other news, but being the contrarian that I am, I actually read the other news, and I also will go to the Christian Science Monitor, which is the newspaper that's published by the Christian Scientist, and they usually have some really great articles that no one else knows about or has heard about or is willing to publish or is interested in reading, and I picked this article up, and I'll paraphrase it. It's about torture And it was written by Dominique Sogel, S-O-G-U-E-L. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. But she interviewed a young woman named Rim Alif, A-L-I-F, who was a late teenager and had a little bit of a rebellious streak in her. She's from Syria. And she was no stranger to taking risk, especially when it comes to protest. And when ISIS took control of her hometown in northern Syria. She was just 17 years old. Before then, she had participated in protests against Syrian President Bashar al-Assad. Now, Mrs. Alif belongs to a small group of Syrian teens who defied ISIS and actually lived to tell about it. She did escape after she was released. After the takeover by ISIS, she... And her friends were protesting against what they saw to be uh, a perversion of Islam. She's a devout Muslim, and she was horrified by ISIS and their approach to Islam. And it's draconian dictations, and uh, it's rules prohibiting girls from studying, and, and different silly backward things. So Alif and a group of her friends, they said, well, let's take some action. And that's when her nightmare of being tortured began including beatings, stress position, and other forms. They took this small team to fight ISIS, she says. And we wanted the message, we wanted to send the message that we are against them and we don't want them in our town, that they are disfiguring Islam. Wrong thing to say to ISIS, especially if you're a girl and you're 17 years old. Mostly they spray painted anti-ISIS slogans around town. And... One image that has not left Alif outside of her own torture was that of a 15-year-old boy who was crucified on a tree and left to rot for days for some infraction against ISIS. In May 2014, a year ago, they unfolded their tricolor flag of the Syrian revolution in front of the Islamic State Court. And her friends documented the acts with their uh, t- with their cell phones and their cameras, and they kept an eye out for the ISIS militants. And she tried to mask her identity by putting on a black naqib, which is a, a, a Muslim women's head, headdress and hides her, her uh, identity, and she wore high heels and tried to change her voice so they couldn't figure out who it was. It all lasted just a few seconds, but shortly after that, she drew the attention of an ISIS militant, She was wiping a smudge off on her outer garment, full-length sleeveless outer garment worn by a Muslim woman. And so he latched onto her purse and demanded identification and then took her in for questioning, thinking something was up. Her interrogator was a masked man who would torment her for the weeks to come. He introduced himself as Abu Zubir, and spoke to her with an unsettling familiarity. He is called by our author of this piece, the Isis Torquemada. Now, Tomas de Torquemada, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, was a Spanish-Dominican friar, and he was the first grand inquisitor in Spain's movement to force Roman Catholicism on all the population in the late 15th century. And this guy was well known for his torture techniques. And they tortured Jews and Muslims who refused to convert. And they also took anybody who they thought was a heretic and would torture them and make them confess to God knows what, to this and that and everything else, whether it was actually true or not. That's what this guy has become for our our author, Dominique. And he says to this young girl, I am so pleased that you came to see me on your own. What would you like to confess to? They ordered her to the basement. She fainted. And as bad as Assad's regime one was, it was rare for security forces to detain girls or torture them because that would trigger a massive backlash in tribal towns like the one she came from. And with the regime, one could pull strings or pay a corrupt official, but not with ISIS. It's black and white. No one would have dared, this young woman says. She shared a cell with a handful of women for two days before being put in solitary confinement. And two weeks in, under pressure of torture and after being confronted with all kinds of incriminating images, which were restored from her memory cards and her cell phone. She confessed, named all of her friends, including their leader, who was a dentist called Huda, H-U-D-A. The hitting and the hanging, the fact that I hadn't eaten in three days, all the time I spent in a place so tiny that you could only sit or stand but not lie down, that was her cell made me confess, she says, tearfully. Her treatment improved after confession, but still had to endure two more months of interrogation and also a marriage proposal from a prison guard. Then she was released. But there were terrible consequences. Her friend Huda, who organized this, was detained and eventually executed. They were placed in adjacent rooms for a while, and the two friends tapped on walls to comfort each other for a time. But then Huda went silent, silent, and late one night the guards came to fetch her friend, saying in a taunting voice, Don't you want to come out? We'll take you to a place where you can truly rest and relax. They later told Alif that her friend was dead. So she and her sister fled to Turkey after her release in January of this year. And Turkey's very difficult for her because she's working menial labor, $140 a month. <clears throat> and her sister, Hannah, makes 270 a month, juggling two jobs. And she says, I have dreams of playing the violin and guitar in Europe, of seeing the Eiffel Tower. I want to travel. I don't want to return to Syria. Still, I have big dreams and ambitions. Her sister, Hannah, does some math and gives her a quick reality check. It would take us 10 years to pay the smugglers' fees to get into Europe. So, here she sits working in a sweatshop in Turkey for defying ISIS. She's fortunate to be alive. Now, you and I feel that what ISIS is doing is morally wrong. It's reprehensible. And it speaks to the barbarity of their religious and philosophical views, but they may see it as morally justified. Well, when is torture justified? Well, the United Nations has given us some uh, guidelines on this, and this is not new. We've had uh, codes of of, uh, behavior for the military and codes of uh, interrogation for our interrogating officers since the inception of our republic. Actually, before that, when we were Confederation at the beginning of the Revolutionary War. Of course, it's refined over time, but basically the same thing. And for the purpose of of the convention that the UN has set up, the term torture means any act by which severe pain or suffering, whether physical or mental, whether physical or mental, is intentionally inflicted on a person for the purposes of obtaining from him or from someone else information or a confession or punishing him for an act or for a third person's, third party's act is, that was committed or is suspected of having committed, or intimidating or coercing him or her or a third person, or for any reason based on discrimination of any kind, when such pain or suffering is inflicted by or is at the instigation of or with the consent or the acquiescence of a public official or other person acting in an official capacity. So you've got to be part of an organized official army, a state, uh, whatever. However, the last sentence says it does not include pain or suffering arising only from inherent or or incidental to lawful sanctions. So there's some wiggle room there. But under the UN Convention that we signed, we are not supposed to engage in this kind of behavior and torture we're supposed to have a standard of behavior whether it's on the battlefield or in the interrogation room and there are rules of war a lot of people don't know that they don't realize that there are rules of war uh President Adams laid down the first code of conduct for the military at the beginning of the Revolutionary War when he was a lawyer and part of the Founding Fathers, part of the rebel gang. But there are views on when torture is morally justified. There is the utilitarian view. Utilitarianism is a philosophy that has evolved in the past one to two hundred years. And it says whenever an act of torture will maximize total happiness, it's okay. Total happiness being the greater good, the majority. The lawyer Alan Dershowitz said there are circumstances which this will not in which this will not work, in the ticking bomb scenario. The bomb is ticking, the explosion is imminent millions of people will die and you have the bomber in custody and he knows where it is or she knows where it is. But Dershowitz says, well, there has to be many conditions met. And others say never in the real world that it's immoral. It's against what Jesus taught, what Buddha taught, what most of the major religions teach now, It's that it's morally wrong. The utilitarianism Under that code or under that philosophy, an act is obligatory so long as it produces the greatest happiness for the greatest number of people. That is, it maximizes total happiness, otherwise the act is wrong. Of course, there's a lot of holes in that philosophy because it says that only the consequences matter. Only happiness and misery matter. So it's a black and white situation. And life is not like that. Life is shades of gray. The total matters with each individual given equal consideration. So, if there's a thousand of us and one guy has planted a bomb and it's going to blow us all up, then we have the right, and some would say even a moral responsibility, to find out where the bomb is at any cost. Even if it means uh, torturing the guy that's hidden the bomb. So, utilitarianism is a system of ethics according to which the rightness or wrongness of an action, whether it's right or wrong, should be judged by its consequences. So the end, I guess in a sense, justifies the means, and the goal of utilitarian ethics is to promote promote the greatest happiness for the greatest number of people. Well, that can be taken to mean that, or it can be taken to justify like what the Supreme Court did this week and saying that uh, homosexual marriage is the law in all states now and then in essence that homosexuality is accepted and their reasoning was that the Constitution would allow this but in the broader sense it's because the majority of the people that they are working for, us Americans, are happy when we... have something like this in place, and we think that this is morally right to give homosexuals status and and equality, if you will. Now, that doesn't mean that I believe that one way or another. It just means that the greatest number of people are made happy by this ruling. In the ticking bomb scenario, provided many conditions are satisfied, Alan Dershowitz, the famous lawyer, will go along with it. So the bomb is ticking, the bad guy knows where it is, and we can torture him, but it's very, very difficult not to slide down into an amoral path, according to Dershowitz. Would you torture the bomber's innocent child to make him speak? Would you torture one to save four? Okay, the, the, the concert hall is empty except for three stagehands and the bomber. His bomb didn't go off. But it's going to go off in the next few minutes. Would you torture one child to save four adults? So it, it turns into a, a, an ethical and moral dilemma in Dershowitz's view. Act utilitarianism, an act is obligatory so long as the act produces the greatest happiness for the greatest number of people. Otherwise, it's wrong. The ruled utilitarianism states that an act is obligatory. you got to do it so long as the operative rule produces the greatest happiness for the greatest number of people. Otherwise, it's wrong. What the heck is the operative rule? This gets to be a real pain in the neck. That's why I can't stand ethics. I, I couldn't take that class. It drives me crazy. So you're at the mini bar in the hotel, and you just have to have that Oreo cookie that's in the that's in the mini bar or that chocolate bar, that Toblerone. So you take it out and you say, well, I'm not going to pay $5 for for a stupid candy bar. I'll get one across the street, and I'll replace it in the morning before the maid comes. So you're taking and replacing the Oreos or the chocolate bar, And you say it's permissible so long as doing so tonight here would maximize the total happiness of the people in the room. This is not going to affect the person who's stocking the minibar because there's no joy or sorrow in it, presumably for them. Although if they're a conscientious employee, there is because they don't want to see things stolen. The company has to pay more money. They have a duty and responsibility to defend the company they work for. Cuts into the bottom line. Say, well, I'm going to put it back, and I did put it back in the morning. Okay. So taking and replacing the Oreos is permissible so long as the operative rule would maximize your happiness. So you can take and replace products you want if you can get away with it everywhere at all times. So you go into the 7-Eleven or the grocery store, and you say, "Oh, I got to have that, but I don't have any money. I'll put one back later." With the rule utilitarians, it's definitely not allowed, since the operative rule would not maximize total happiness. Somebody's going to be upset. It's situational rules. If it works here, will it work in other situations? No. What about at Seven Eleven? What about at Kmart or Walmart? I mean, if you pick up. Something of value and you stuff it in your purse or in your pocket or down your pants and you say, well, I'm having a hard time right now, but I'll pay back later and you walk out. Well, you've been sh- you've been stealing your shoplifting and there's no guarantee that you're going to pay it back. Society wouldn't work very well, would it? So. Situational ethics takes into account the particular context of the act when evaluating it ethically. I can't stand ethics. Rather than judging it according to absolute moral standards. Well, what are absolute moral standards? Well, the Bible says, thou shalt not steal. It didn't say thou shalt not steal unless you're going to pay it back later. It didn't say thou shalt not steal if you don't have any money. It said very simply, thou shalt not steal. So that's an absolute, at least if you read the Ten Commandments the way most people read the Ten Commandments. But situational ethics says no, you can't have an absolute. There is no absolute. You have to take into account what's going on around you. Well, is torture okay here? Is it okay to torture the people in in Guantanamo so that we can get information so that we can find out where the guy is that planned the 9-11 attack. I mean, that's what we did, basically. We took information from detainees. (laughs) We call them detainees. I mean, let's face it, they were prisoners. Not anymore. Most of them have been let go. But from the detainees, we took that information, and with our boots on the ground, we found out where – the masterminds of the plan were and several years later we even found out where the head man himself was osama bin laden and he was killed and we felt justified well you know there's moral laws some people believe that exist whether we're here or not that there is innate within us a sense of obligation to which We will often respond or should respond. And Immanuel Kant, who is loved and hated as a philosopher, he was the late 18th century philosopher. He said, We're pulled in one direction not because we desire to act in that way, but in spite of our desire to act in the opposite way, that we feel there's a moral wrong there. Is that true for everybody? I don't think so. I think that ISIS doesn't feel that there's a moral wrong in torturing a 17-year-old girl to get information. I think they feel that it's a moral right. Well, who's right? I mean, if they feel that it's their moral duty to uphold the tenets of Islam as they interpret them, then they're not acting immorally in their mind. But the question is, is, is that free will? Do they have free will? I mean, that's been one of the big debates in Islam since its inception. If God's responsible for everything, do I have free will? And a common greeting is God's will. God's will be done. Well, when does God's will take over from my will? Where's that line? Do I have free will or not? I don't know. I don't know. Certainly. We're hemmed in by just by our physical existence. There's only so many things that we can do and not do. So Immanuel Kant, again, who is loved and hated, said that it's deeper than consciousness. Moral imperatives, because our conscience can be mistaken, because conscience is influenced by emotions. It's influenced by what we see, hear, feel, touch, and taste. And we may not be hearing or seeing or feeling or touching or interpreting any of that in a way that makes sense or is proven scientifically to other people. He said moral law is not given to us from outside. It's within us. It's innate. It's part of our DNA. It's a structure of human reason and human will. And Kant doesn't associate the moral law with what God commands. He says it doesn't matter what the commandments say. We have an innate sense of morality, and if we follow that, then we'll be in compliance with God's law, nature's law, whatever. He said it doesn't come from civil law. It doesn't come from societal mores or what society wants or recommends. So the majority of Americans now feel that, if you believe the Supreme Court ruled, uh represents the majority, now believe that homosexual marriage is OK and that homosexuality should be accepted and they should uh, be able to have and enjoy all the rights of any other citizen. Well, you know, 50 years ago, it, it was a crime. Uh, so the society's morals and values have changed. Does that mean that my moral compass has changed, or your moral compass has changed? Kant says there's something that exists. It exists before us, just like a mathematical law exists even if you don't know how to do the math. We know that there are laws in in nature and in math and in science that existed before we figured out they were laws. Can that be applied to moral, morality as well? Can that be applied to ethics? You see why I hate ethics and morals? It drives me crazy, just crazy. Is nature self-promoting? Is there a law or are there laws that define morals and values innately within our nature? Irregardless of whatever else there is going on in the world. I mean, we look for universal laws for math and science and physics, and by the way, even math falls apart after a certain level of of digging into our physical universe. We know that when we get to the quantum level, when we get to the really itty bitty little microscopic, or not even microscopic, unseeable Pieces of an atom. If you break it up into all these little uh, pions and mu particles and electrons and positrons and all this stuff, that these particles don't behave according to the laws of physics that we know, that we have been uh, uh, delving into, when we that we have established hard scientific facts and, and mathematical laws. It doesn't work at this level. At the quantum level, all of our physics, all of our math goes out the door. Does that mean there are no laws ruling or governing the quantum level of existence? No. We just don't know them yet. So if we obey moral law, it's nothing else than to obey basic structure and drive of human reason. Kant said you will realize this if you're a reasonable person. It's in all of us, and it's also the source of human freedom and human autonomy. So then we get back to Islam, which says, well, wait a minute. Ultimately, it's God's will. The big rift between the East and the West. This has been going on since before there was Christianity, before there was Islam, before there was Judaism. I mean, there is a big rift between the East and the West. The West says, We do have free will. We can make decisions. Our purpose in life, among other things, is to learn how to make the best decisions for us and for those around us. There's a lot of ways to get there. So we're back to torture. And Dershowitz's torture rule does it say this. The ticking bomb scenario, the bomb's going to blow up within the hour, and the suspect is the guilty party. We know that because we've matched everything up. We've got the DNA. We've got all the things we need. And he knows where the bomb is. And we give him immunity. And the suspect refuses to to speak. The torture must be non-lethal. So those are some of the rules that Alan Dershowitz would interject. And what would be a non-lethal torture? Well, you take a 22-gauge hypodermic needle, and you stick it under the fingernails. Let me tell you, bud, that hurts. That hurts a lot because I've had things stuck under my nails, thorns and all kinds of stuff from working in the yard and working in the shop. Should you torture the suspect's child? We're back to that. Does Does Dershowitz rule allow that? What if you got the children there, too? So you apply that rule, and you torture one to save four, or you torture the child to make the adult talk, and we're presuming that the child is innocent. We believe that children have a level of innocence. Was our torturing at Abu Ghraib justified? I mean, some of the pictures are are pretty, uh, pretty horrendous, if they're accurate. I mean, I don't know. They might not be accurate, but... They are pretty horrendous to see some of what was going on. And for me, it would be an immorality. Does that mean that I would not have tortured people to get information? Absolutely not. But I think that the methods they use and seemingly the randomness of it and the lack of oversight would certainly make it, for me, an immoral act. Well, I've got a question for everybody, and I'll take the first few callers. When is torture justified? I want to know what you think. When is torture justified? Again, this is WGUL 860 AM. I am the answer, and we are at 877-969-8600, 877 969 And while the class is working on their answer, be sure and write it down. Daddy's going to go get a cup of joe. I'll be right back.
0: Everywhere around the world They come
3: with SRN News. I'm Michael Harrington in Washington. The European Central Bank has announced it's maintaining emergency credit to Greek banks at its current level, but not increasing it. This decision keeps a key financial lifeline open, but does not provide further credit to Greece's banks, which are seeing deposits drain away as anxious Greeks pull their money out this weekend. French officials say they have a confession from the main suspect in the beheading of a French transportation company manager. The suspect is a deliveryman with a history of ties to Muslim terror groups. The sheriff in Franklin County, New York, says he thinks the search for the last of the two suspected escaped killers in northern New York will turn on tips from the public. He says many continue to come in. And a 49-year-old pastor and mother of four who led Wednesday night Bible study will be remembered today at Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church in Charleston, the Payne Middleton Doctor. This is SRN News.
1: Twitter, 140 characters to encapsulate the wisdom of the ages and what everyone thinks about someone stumbling on the red carpet again. Or you can follow us for news, politics, and, of course, answers at am 860 The Answer. Facebook, a cyber carnival littered with pictures of cats playing with dogs, requests for Candy Crush, and all the folks you couldn't stand in high school. Then again, we're there. Facebook.com slash AM860, the answer. We've been hearing a lot about Uber lately so we decided to get out there and talk to some actual Uber partners to get our questions answered.
4: Is signing up to drive with Uber really hard?
1: Nope. Signing up with Uber is
4: super easy. It was simple and easy. Okay, but can I drive my own car?
1: Yes, yes,
4: yes.
2: You get to drive your own
4: car? But my roommate doesn't even have a car. Can she drive with Uber? They can help
2: her get a car too. I wouldn't be able to get a vehicle if it wasn't for Uber. It took me less than six hours to
3: get a car.
4: So you could just sign up and earn money.
3: Sign up, drive, and you make some money.
4: You are saying. I can just use the smartphone app to make money whenever I want?
3: Yeah, you just open the app
4: whenever
0: you feel like driving. All I have to do is turn on my phone, hit the road, and I start making money.
4: Are the hours good?
0: I work
5: less hours and I make more money. I'm my own boss now, so I set my own hours.
4: Okay, this all sounds pretty great. What do you think I should do? You
1: need to sign up for Uber. You can make serious, life-changing money when you drive with Uber. Get started today at drivewithuber.com. That's drivewithuber.com. Drive with Uber.com. Georgia's Wholesale Tires wants you to know there's a lot more to tires than just rubber and tread. Many different factors come into play when selecting tires for your vehicle. Georgia's Wholesale Tire will help you outfit your vehicle with the perfect tires for your driving needs. Family owned and operated since 1995, they've become a one-stop, on-the-spot automotive repair facility for Bay Area customers. Check out their full range of products and services at georgeswholesaletire.com. That's georgeswholesaletire.com.
4: A mix of clouds and sunshine with a couple of thunderstorms. Today's high, 91. Partly cloudy tonight with a shower or thunderstorm, low 78. Partly sunny tomorrow with a shower or thunderstorm, high 89. A shower or thunderstorm around Tuesday morning, high 92. That's your Ackie weather forecast. I'm Jason Stevens for AM860, The Answer.
2: Bill, your Radio MD, we're talking about torture, and that was Neil Diamond's America, Coming to America. You say, what does that have to do with torture? Believe it or not, this was one of the songs that the CIA played, uh, the uh, Muslim detainees that they had uh, as part of the torture. Part of torture is to keep people up as long as you can, don't let them sleep, and play obnoxious music, or music they consider obnoxious, that will... Uh, distract them and not let them go to sleep. And so this was one of the songs. Fascinating. By the way, I've got a question out there, and a couple gift certificates for $25 to give away. If anybody wants to jump on this, when is torture justified? And we are at 877-969-8600. That's 877-969-8600 and you let me know what you think, give me a shout-out, and we'll give you a $25 gift certificate. And if you're if you're uh, shy about talking on the radio, you can always ask uh, Chris, and he'll relay the message to me or give your answer. So the third uh, and not unexpected view on torture, is it morally justified? Never in the real world is it justified. That's what a lot of people believe, a lot of people on the left. And they point to the uh, uneven way in which torture is applied. They say that the morality of it is in question because there's no oversight at a lot of these places where torture is going on, at black sites, secrecy, denial. And why not torture openly? Be explicit. Have the public rules involved and obtain warrants from judges before you're allowed to do this or just prohibit torture altogether because it can never be completely justified or uh, held to the highest moral standards. You can never do that. It's just impossible when you have something like torture. And the one classic example is the college kids, who were split into two groups for a psychology class. One group was a prisoner and the other were the guards, and the rules were not set. And eventually all of the guards started treating all of the prisoners like inferiors and abusive. And so the behavioral psychologists say, well, you'll drift into this always. Looks like we've got a caller on the line. Roseanne from Clearwater has an answer. Come on, Roseanne, what's up, friend? I don't know if I have the
4: answer. I have an opinion.
2: There you and go. In my
4: opinion is, I believe that they, they should do all they can to save our. They have to save our country, and they have to save our troops. That's how I feel.
2: So you, you agree with the uh, with the Dershowitz view, as long as there are some uh, basic uh, rules and regulations put into place? you think that the greater good is more important than one or two individuals? I do. Okay, well, I mean that's fair. You know, a lot of people feel that way.
3: Mm-hmm. A lot,
2: a lot of people feel the opposite way. They say, "Well, who do you torture? How do you make this selection? And would our troops be in danger otherwise if this person was not tortured?" And so there's going to be a lot of uh, criticism and debate on both sides. Uh, for me, I think that it comes down to uh, if I were in the field, it comes down to saving me and saving my buddies in arms. And that's what a lot of soldiers will tell you. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, that this is human nature. So we may have moral compasses, but I think that the self-preservation law takes over uh-huh. and above everything else. Because if I don't survive, then it doesn't really matter what the morality or immorality of my actions are. Now, does it? No. Nope. Oh.
4: Right. I, and that's my opinion. And I, I watch documentaries and I see what our troops have gone through during war. So, you know, I don't I think what 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 our country has done is really like minute compared to what other countries have done to us. So,
2: so you think there's a relative morality. So yeah. and, and a lot of people will really jump on that and say, wait a minute. You know, are you going to do the right thing because it's the right thing to do, or are you going to do the right thing because the other guy's been doing you right? Well, are you going to do the wrong thing because they've been doing the wrong thing to you? Then it turns into, rather than uh, interrogation or looking for information, it turns into retribution. Um, I'm
4: not looking at it that way. We have to take each situation as it comes.
2: Well, I, I would agree with and you. You there. have to
4: handle, every, you know, things change all the time, but you have to handle what you have at the moment, and it's either, you know, like that saying, well, it's fair in love and war." Well, sometimes you have to do what you have to do. Um, but I feel that we are more humane in this country than most, most all of the other countries around.
2: I uh, I don't think there's any doubt about that, and. Uh, We may slip over the years, but uh, I would agree with you. And the thing I try to tell my friends who have not traveled overseas is most of the world is corrupt.
5: Mm -hmm.
2: We're we're one of the least corrupt nations, and we actually do try and apply our laws evenly to the rich and the poor, the young and the old. Now, there's a lot of criticism of that, too, because of uh, black Americans uh, being unfairly targeted over the the past century, but uh, that's another that's another talk. But, you know, I cannot argue with what you're saying. I I, I think you have a valid point. Uh, I would just say that we have to make sure that we're not doing it to get even. You know, no. I, it's, like, it's like capital punishment. I don't see capital punishment as punishment. I don't think we have to get even by, you know, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And I don't think that's what Jesus or Buddha would have taught. I think that we have a right as a society to say, you flunked the test, dude. You had your chance at life, and you flunked the test poorly, badly, and you're a threat to society, and we're going to rid society of you to protect ourselves. And for that end, I think that's okay. But to do these things in anger or in reprisal or as some way of leveling the playing field, uh, that, that that's not going to work.
4: I believe so. that. You know, yeah. I don't I think, don't think there's any kind of uh, satisfaction of hurting or harming anyone. I think, you know, that's why we have our military trained. You know, I as I a person who couldn't do it, but, you know, you, you get training. And you, there's certain things that people, there's, there's, there's certain things that everyone has to do with. You know, a lot of people couldn't do it. Or, like a lot of people couldn't be a surgeon. There's people that couldn't That's be a true. doctor. They couldn't. They they couldn't see a needle go in. I but you know, the, certain things have to be done.
2: That's true. I mean, there. You know, there's a, a time yeah. and a place for surgery, and uh, certainly uh, acts during war or acts uh, during terrorism uh, that we take to protect ourselves, uh, protect our our friends, our troops, our allies. Certainly, that is. Uh, a valid argument for doing what you have got to do. I agree, okay. Roseanne. It was really good hearing from you. Make sure you give uh, give your address and all that to my man. I will, we'll, and
4: I enjoy your your show tremendously.
2: Well, thank I will
4: you. I try to listen to you faithfully. Maybe occasionally I can't, but I do.
2: It's very. You know what? I'm the same way. Occasionally, I don't listen to myself either. So, we're in the same boat. <laughs> okay.
5: All right.
2: Thank you. Okay. Thank you. So that that was a you know a, a, an honest and uh, probably fairly prevalent argument and look at this whole problem, this whole question. I don't know if it's much of a problem as much of a problem as it is a question, but under the no torture is justified. People will say, "Well, once we grant the permissibility of torture in a hypothetical case, we end up in the real world with a torture culture that includes trained torturers and prisons like Abu Ghraib." And we have to ask ourselves, is that what we want? How can we not deteriorate into that where there are unwarranted and, uh, from Kant's Emanuel Kant's view, immoral acts taking place? in the name of torture which ultimately is in the name of self-preservation preservation preservation of our troops and our nation and our way of life so it's it's a slippery slope and I did look at some of the pictures from Abu Ghrib and I don't know if they're doctored or not but you know it looks pretty uh, it looks pretty immoral to me and and I'm not a moralist I mean I don't I don't claim to be the uh, morality police or have any interest in being the morality police. If you think your acts are moral and they're not illegal and they don't affect me, well, it's not my place to tell you not to do that. I mean, as a doctor, I can tell you professionally if you do this, then these possible consequences will occur. I think there's also the uh, idea that There are certain people in society who have to be protected, uh, such as children. And if you decide not to immunize your children, and I ran it and raved about this. And by the way, don't give any money to Governor Christie or Rand Paul because these guys are nothing but idiots. The Laurel and Hardy of the Republican Party. Immunizations, except in certain medical situations, should be mandatory for all children in the United States. Looks like we got another caller. Connie from Clearwater. Connie, what you got?
5: Well, uh, I tend to disagree with you mostly regarding morality in terrorist cases because uh, I lived, worked in five countries, and in three countries I worked in hospitals, especially in Israel. I saw children and people brought to our hospitals, you know, heavily wounded. Right. by terrorists that had no morals, never looked whom they are attacking, whom they are killing, and what they do. Therefore, I think morality is out the door, and we have to use any method to somebody that is proven has ties with potential terrorists to squeeze everything out of them as fast as possible, regardless of the methods.
2: Well, and, you know, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm, I'm just posing the different sides of the arguments. And certainly self-preservation, if you don't get that, if you don't figure that rule, that law out, the rest of the day is pretty well shot. So from that point of view, I agree with you. I mean, if this means that you and me and our families and our children will survive and we have a guy that we know can make that possible, then I think we have a duty to do whatever we have to do to survive. Survival is the first rule. But we also have to remember that if we become too much like our enemy, then the whole notion of uh, moral superiority or logic or, uh, you know, just uh, what we would think of as a higher station of of life, not physical, but uh, mental, emotional, spiritual, moral, if you believe in all that. So we have to stop and look at what we're doing from time to time but in in a pinch i mean you got to do what you got to do if you got you know like the guys in the field in vietnam you got a viet cong courier and you know he's running messages between the general and the troops in the battle and you catch him and the battle's going on you better get that information out of him in a hurry uh, or you're going to lose more troops and you know let's face it it's a football game you want to get the ball across the goal line uh, there are rules in football but occasionally in desperation or in reaction to somebody else on the other side doing something to you you take some liberties and you clip them or you do something that's not uh, in the rule book and you may or may not get caught so you say well that's the object of f- playing a football game it's to win yeah that's that's it
5: you know now, I lived you know I lived in Greece I worked there and why do you think the Greeks never had and don't have any attack, ter- terrorist attacks by the, any Muslims. Because being a, a Muslim and to get in Greece, it's an almost impossible task. Because every Muslim okay, is considered a terrorist in Greece. Okay? So yeah. from this point of view, it's either do we want to live with the terrorism and the consequences or or we want to get rid of it. And you know something? There is a very good theory written by one of the former Mossad chiefs in the 60s that said terrorists can be defeated with only one thing terrorize them more than they terrorize you
2: well you know that's that's certainly uh, uh, one way to approach it and I'm not uh, opposed to that for me I would still have to ask the question am I becoming too much like my enemy and you know the Greeks <clears throat> have a rich history of fighting uh, the uh, the, well, even before they were Muslims, the Persians, uh, you know, twenty five hundred years ago. I mean, th- this, as I said earlier, this rift between East and West has been going on since people moved out of Africa fifty or a hundred thousand years ago. Whenever they did, I mean, basically, we are different on this side of the uh, Straits of Dardanelle. You know, we're we're different than the Asians in that respect because we believe that we have. The ability to make certain decisions for ourselves. Obviously, we can't make some decisions—at least not yet. Like what gender will I be? I mean, you can go get a, a sex change operation, but that doesn't mean that you're a woman. You're not going to be able to bear kids. Of course, the genetics is going to change all that in the future. But for now, you know, there are, there are certainly things that we can make decisions about. And I agree with you that if it's uh, if it's survival, you got to do what you got to
5: do especially you if you never did anything to them.
2: Yeah, but of course, you know, they're going to say, well, you did do something to us. Like in Israel, the Palestinians are going to say, you took our homes away from us. Actually, the war that was waged against the Palestinians after World War II was a British operation and not an Israeli operation. So people have their history a little screwed
0: up.
5: Yes, but why, why should other people, for example, in Spain or friends that open the doors to all the North African Muslims suffer for giving them refuge and, uh, you know, social benefits and stuff. And now they turn around, bombing everything they can.
2: Well, you know, the same same thing here. I, I had arguments with my friends when Clinton wanted to go into the Balkans during the war. And I said, why do, why do you want to do this? And some of my Jewish friends said, well... You know, we're an oppressed people and we understand what it is and these these Serbs are are going in and killing Muslims for no reason. Of well, course I don't I don't know if that's true or not, but
5: it's uh, not quite true. I come right from close to the border with former Yugoslavia. I know the situation in that part of the world. The Muslims were as guilty as the Orthodox for the civil war and for atrocities and what Clinton did bombing and destroying all the infrastructure and economy of Serbia was a total crime because he did it also without declaration of war. And Serbia never attacked us.
2: Well, you know, you live there and you know. And I, I, I think that there – I said to my friends, you know, what you're doing is you're opening the door to a lot of Muslims to come into the United States as uh, refugees. And there will be problems. Uh, because the first people they'll turn on are the Jews if they can. Uh, so, but I got one more caller before the show's okay. over. Okay. So let Thank me get you this one. Great Thank talking you. to you, man. Really enjoyed Thank it. You. Thank you. Who you got for me, Chris?
5: Thank you. Hello.
2: Hello. Yeah. Chris. You have somebody else? Oh, Linda. Come on, Linda. You got two minutes, girlfriend.
5: Talk fast.
2: No, Linda. No, Linda. Oh, well. Linda, we missed you. We were looking forward to hearing from you.
5: I'm right here.
2: Oh, there you go. Okay, come on.
4: Okay. There was a Huffington Post did two separate polls in '09 and '14, and in both of those, the majority of people, both Democrats and Republicans, believed that in some cases torture was necessary, um, especially when people were taking... Large amounts of innocent lives, and um, and they were the ones who the, were the aggressors and those who were injured or didn't have, had never harmed anyone.
3: Well, you and know, I.
4: It's more important to save the lives of the innocents than to save a few people, you know, like those in ISIS.
2: So you're a utilitarian. Um, that's fine. That's fine. I I don't disagree with you, uh, but again, people are going to say, "What is innocence?" And people are going to say, "What do you mean it wasn't provoked?" And one of the Muslim doctors said to me at the lunch table. He's after nine eleven. He said, "Well, what about the homes that were taken away from the Palestinians by the Israelis?" Of course, that's not true. But you know, that's what you're going to hear. And uh, so it, it's really I agree with you, but there's there's certainly a whole other side to this. And the utilitarian approach is one approach, and we've had a great discussion about it today, Linda. And make sure you stay on the line and give Chris your info. We're getting down to about twenty seconds here, so I better uh, I better say my goodbyes to everybody, give hugs and kisses to the to the gang, and thanks everybody. Great show. Hang in there, and I'll see you next week. This is Doctor Bill, your radio MD.